Hello, hello, welcome and welcome back to Blazers for Goalposts. Joining me as ever is my co-host Joe, as well as regular contributor to the pod and our old friend and schoolmate, Yoni. Yoni and I are, of course, Arsenal fans, as is today's special guest. We all know who Joe supports. You know, sadly, these things do happen. Nonetheless, I know Joe is just as excited as I am for our brilliant guest, and we'll be introducing him shortly. Yoni, welcome back to the podcast. Have you been since we last had you? Yeah, thanks for having me again. Uh, I've been doing well. Um, I had to quarantine because I came back from a place that you have to now quarantine when you come back from. Um, but that's over now, so just in time for lockdown number two. But yeah, happy to be on again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome back. And otherwise, Joe, how's it going? What have you been up to recently? I'm good, thanks, Kai. Very well. I know you're in LA, but it's obviously frustrating over here in the UK that it looks like there's more COVID restrictions coming. Well, there are more COVID restrictions coming into place, but I'm not too bad. And I'm obviously very happy that a certain Welshman has returned to Spurs. Um, but I think we'll talk about that a bit later. Enough about me, though. However, I doubt that today's guest will share the same enthusiasm for Spurs' new number nine. JB, aka Gunner Punner, has been punning his way through Twitter for over 10 years now. Much like one of our previous guests asked blog, he will probably be known by all the annoying gooners listening to this recording. JB, great to have you on. How are you? Hello. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great to have me on, as uh, Matt Hancock <laughs> would say. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, good to be here. Good to be speaking to you all. Um, there's not much else I could be doing really given we're all locked inside again but I am here willingly so thank you for having me on oh fantastic thanks for being here now JB your pinned tweet on the gunner punner page <laughs> happened to be a bit of a viral one and for those who don't know essentially it's like it's like a tabloid headline that basically says Ginger Spice, I'm having a baby aged 44, to which you, of course, replied in true gunner punner fashion. It's not a baby then, is it? And obviously that all got the retweets and likes in. It was a real corker of a tweet. But JB, it did get me thinking about spices. And for me, I'm personally a big fan of paprika, something I use a lot when I'm cooking. But what takes the prize for gunner punner's favourite spice? Um, it's a, it's a tough question because a lot of the things I would naturally reach for, I think technically count as herbs, which makes this a more difficult question <laughs> than you'd otherwise think. Um, and, and I know it's going to sound boring, but I think, I think the humble chili, chili pepper, uh, as a category, if I'm allowed, just because of its versatility, I don't need to list out the types. I don't think we've got time for that, but, but there's a variety there that allows you to do different things. So so in the absence of being able to go for a herb, I'm there, I'm there. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I respect your, your, your paprika choice, but I just don't think it's versatile enough to have as number one. Fair enough. But, uh, but Yoni, how about you? What's your favourite spice or perhaps even your favourite herb? <laughs> oh, well, if it's herb, then that's a, it's a different question. I'd have to give more thought to that. Um, yeah, I, I, I almost went with chilli myself, um, but I've chosen turmeric. I think it... First of all, it's quite versatile. It's quite cross-cultural, cross-cuisines. Um, and it just adds sort of a lot of, almost an overwhelming amount of colour to any meal you're about to eat. And I Big, like the uh, flavour. 
big favourite of Hal Robson Carney. If you are <laughs> genuinely, he's uh, he's invested in a turmeric drink brand. So if you want to talk really? turmeric, yeah, get him on the show. I'm sure he'll be. <laughs> No, okay, that's good to know. Yeah, Hal, if you're listening, then I'm happy to talk turmeric with you anytime. Didn't think that would um, be coming up, but you know, it's it's great to know that Hal Robson Carney's investing in this kind of spice herb world. But Kai, how about you? Give us a good spice. I think, as usual, on these, I'm cheating a little bit because it's a combination of spices. But I'd say there's probably chili in there. To be fair, whatever combination of spices ends up on Nando's peri peri chips is my favorite spice. Presumably that's called Peri Peri Spice, which honestly does sound like a Spice Girl's name. Um, Peri Halliwell. <laughs> yeah, it's close enough. What do you guys think? Of, is that cheating, Peri Peri? Do you guys like it? I like Peri Peri, but... It's a blend, isn't it? Like, there's, there are different things in there. I don't know if anyone knows what exactly, but... Yeah, yeah I mean, you're, like... Yoni, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be fussy here, right? Because technically you've gone for a root, so... <laughs> no um peri peri bush to my knowledge or anything like that that yeah grows the peri peri as it is and as far as versatility i'd say in jb's book i probably lost because what you put it on nando's stuff and that's about it so moving on jb a few questions for you rather than too much arsenal chat which i promise we'll get into later and i know joe in particular can't wait for that these questions that are going to be a bit more personal to you. So, JB, funnily enough, you went to the direct rival high school to the rest of us on today's pod. And mm-hmm. given where we all lived, I'd assume that, like at our school, most of your mates like you were also Arsenal fans. Billy, one of our good friends, someone who's been on the pod a fair bit, is a Sunderland fan. We, we had a Derby County fan in our year at school and a Leeds fan too. Uh, basically, there's always some kid with foreign parents or seemingly more northern parents or just something else going on. And mm-hmm. they end up following what team seems like a random club compared to most of the rest of the kids at school. So I want to know from you, JD, who were those kids at your school? More so, I suppose, what were the teams? Did you see any good scarves on your school's campus? Do you know what? I think school is, is kind of a founding place for a lot of our allegiances in the, especially explaining this to kind of people who aren't into football or, or kind of fans from other parts of the world. I mean, I'm sure you grew up a similar environment where, you know, the day after your team loses a game, especially to a big rival, you suddenly see shirts and scarves of that team all around. And I think when, you know, when people question how, how and why we take it so seriously, I think you have to go back to that lived experience of uh, the pain you feel whenever your team loses and the, the joy you can carry in the next day whenever your team wins as a kid. So I think that's a starting point. Um, obviously, being from London, we had the, uh, the Arsenal fans, which I don't know, it's probably half. Um, then you've got your Chelsea fans, little bubble of them, some Spurs fans, um, and the other London club, Man United, obviously has a strong contingent uh, within my school. Uh, it was kind of limited beyond that. There was the odds, you know, someone's grandpa was from Leeds. Um, so there was like one Leeds fan in my ear. Uh, it was like the odd Ipswich fan. I mean, there was one Ipswich fan. Um, I'm, I think I'm running out already. It was a pretty small small kind of concentrated group of, of teams people supported um and then then obviously you had i think there's like one or two charlton fans and a fulham fan uh and then i remember in sixth form uh going back now but it was kind of the point where people had a little bit of money floating around and, and before qpr made the premier league and you could get like a season ticket there for not much so a few people kind of adopted qpr as a second club but but yeah i mean it was uh it was a, it was a london club situation probably much like yours 
Yeah, no, that sounds about right. But I heard Ipswich in there, so I'll, I'll take that. Otherwise, on a similar note, and maybe we'll get the other guys in on this quickly too, what's your favourite non-Arsenal kit that you own or a scarf or something like a souvenir? Because I know we've all got them. I'm a bit, I'm a bit kind of torn on kits now. I can answer that quite easily because I had a bit of a clear out um, earlier in earlier during the pandemic uh, and therefore kept a selection of about five kits that I would actually wear for Power League. So it's, it's one of three. Uh, I actually sold one. So I sold, I had a Totti Roma shirt from about eight years ago um, that I really liked. But, you know, there's good, there's good money in shirt resale these days. So I had to take it. Much like, you know, if you've got two fullbacks and the money's there, sometimes you just got to kind of hold your nose and sell. Um, and then the two I kept that I really like, I've got a Meza Ozil, Real Madrid away kit from like 2011, which is the navy one with the green trim. Don't know if you remember it. Uh, it was a lovely kit. And I've got a Thierry Henry. Uh, you can sense a theme here. Uh, New York Red Bulls away jersey. It's the one... Do you remember when Henrying was a thing? When he was leaning against the post doing that weird that leg cross gesture. Uh, Yoni's nodding. That kit. Um, so I've got that one. I've got a Red Bulls kit too. So I've got that in common. Otherwise, for me, maybe I'd say sticking in the Americas... I've got this old school Club America from the Mexican Football League kit that's got like sponsored by Coca-Cola. That one's good. Uh, I guess going to Joe, uh, you don't have an Arsenal kit. I know that. I know you have plenty of Spurs kits, but um, besides, besides that, what, what's your favourite? Yeah, no, I definitely don't own an Arsenal kit, thank God. But um, my favourite non-Spurs kit, that I, well, shirt that I own is probably, it's a Barcelona shirt probably from around 10 years ago. It's like sort of pinky orangey. It's like around the time when they were like peak Barcelona, basically. It might have even been from that year they beat United in the final at Wembley. But yeah, that's that's a nice kit I like to wear from time to time. Yeah, I can just see Bojan Kurgic in that kit right now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's, we're talking that. Those were the days, yeah. Y Yanni, how about you? Um, it's, it's a goalkeeper shirt, actually. Um, it's one that I got because... I played intramural football at uni. Um, I studied languages and our team was called Intima Languages. And for whatever reason, they just didn't have an intimate or, you know, a, a goalkeeper kit. Um, so I went on one of these websites that sell old kits and I got, I think the goalkeeper kit from the 91, 92 season, which is probably just the most like garish piece of clothing I own, let alone football kits and would be very at home on like Shoreditch High Street. Um, but that's the one I have. I still occasionally will bring it out for Power League. But moving on from sort of kits and I suppose to memories of being a fan, JB, obviously you're very vocal in the Twitter community, the football Twitter community, the Arsenal Twitter community. And people, I, I suppose, follow you for those insights. But how did you become an Arsenal fan? Like, what are the stories there? And what are your earliest memories of watching the team? I don't know if I'd call them insights, but I appreciate the, the benefit of the doubt there. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a family thing, really. Uh, my, we're going back now. My uh, great-grandfather moved to the country and kind of ended up living in East London. But my grandfather grew up around Islington and ended up living about a road away from Highbury. Um, so, you know, that, that obviously embedded Arsenal into the family. Um, my dad was an Arsenal fan growing up, kind of fell out of love with football a bit and then got back into it again uh, when, I, when I came along. Uh, and I went to my first Arsenal game 
Ooh, I'll tell you what it was. It was an Arsenal Bolton Premier League game, and I think 2001, and I had the pleasure of witnessing both Michael Ricketts and Francis Jeffers scoring in the same game. Which I mean, seeing either of them score was rare. Seeing them both score in the same game is is a real privilege. First game I remember watching, and I, I've still never been able to pin this down, was an Arsenal Wolves, I think, FA Cup game in the mid 90s when I was, I mean, a child, obviously. Um, but very young. And I remember watching it on my, on my parents' bed. It was on TV. I have absolutely no idea. Um, if anyone wants to let me know what game that might have been, please do. But, but yeah, so that's the memory. Um, and yeah, an entire family of Arsenal fans. Um, we all go, we share season tickets with my cousins. Uh, yeah, that's, that's us. The tale of JB becoming an Arsenal fan. Such a shame your, your grandfather didn't move in near White Hart Lane. It could have been so different. Could have been worse, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it depends which way you look at it, I suppose. But yeah, um, could, have, could have been worse. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, I see, well I see where we're going. Yeah, Very well put. <laughs> um, anyway, JB, I mentioned earlier that you've been running Gunapunna for over 10 years now. And in that time, you've, you've amassed quite a following. And if I'm right, you've also appeared in a few kind of promotional videos here and there too. And I also seem to remember... Did you play at the Emirates at some point? Is that is that correct? Yeah, a, a few times now. No, there we go, a few <laughs> times. Love it. Bearing bearing this in mind, have you ever been recognised at an Arsenal game? Like maybe as you're walking to the stadium or at half-time or something? And if so, do you enjoy that side of being Gunapana in terms of kind of having this platform now to air your views but also potentially be recognised by other Arsenal fans? Um... So, so I have been, and I think I'm in this, let's call it a sweet spot of fame, where it basically doesn't ever happen. So when it does, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, and I don't shut up about it. And I make sure every, you know, like I'll just keep quiet and everyone can see how happy I am. And everyone, I can see everyone getting annoyed about how happy I am. So I got, I got recognised uh, at Wembley once. Someone came up to me a couple of times playing football, um, and then friends of friends, like I've been on, I was on a Zoom quiz uh, during the pandemic and uh, one of my girlfriend's friends, someone called me Gunapunna on the thing. One of my girlfriend's friends was like, oh my God, are you Gunapunna? And oh, should have seen the faces of everyone else on the call. It was hilarious. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't really happen enough, um, to be honest. It, it should happen more. Uh, but I kind of don't really put my face out there consciously. Um as you know, because the world's full of weirdos. So I feel like there's kind of more to go wrong than there is to go right from it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's always, you know, I, my ego doesn't need feeding, but, but when it happens, it's, it's a lovely thing. <laughs> and also the fact you're followed by so many Arsenal fans, you know, there definitely are a few weirdos in, in that club. So I get, I get not wanting to, um, to show your face. So I was, I was playing sevens um, last week and there's someone who I think I vaguely met before. I can't remember. It's going to be really embarrassing if you listen to this. Anyway, I scored and got an assist in the first half and I was playing my usual role of, uh, you know, drop deep, get the ball to feet, turn and play a nice little through ball. And we're winning at half time, and he just goes to me. He say basically just goes, ah, oh, diminutive playmaker, which is my Twitter bio, and it it threw me because I was I spent the whole second half trying to figure out if it was just a massive coincidence or if you follow me. Um, turns out it was the latter, um, and I think we have met before and we have mutuals, but but still, it was uh, it was fun. 
being known not just for your Twitter handle, but your Twitter bio, that's when you know you've like attained a certain level of notoriety. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. You know, that's been unchanged for 10 years. Um, I mean, the fact I've been tweeting for 10 years is arguably depressing, but it's, it's, been, it's been unchanged for a long time. Welcome back to probably our favourite game on Blazers for goalposts. Ooh, ah, uh, yeah. The last episode we did was with Tamika Makandawire, and I, I think the clues I gave, Kaitel could probably back this up, were probably too easy. So today I'm trying to make things a bit trickier. And to be clear, you are all guessing who the mystery player is from a not-so-helpful, very general clue I will provide you with and then feel free to keep asking me questions for other clues until you successfully identify the player. So for my first player, the first clue for this player is he has played for seven clubs in the football league in England. I feel like the obvious first question is, is he English? He is not English. Are we sorry? Are we including Premier League in the, so this yes. Premier League and the yeah. three? Yeah, yeah, that we are. Has he played for a Premier League club? He's actually played for five Premier League clubs. Excellent. Is he still playing? He's not still playing. Is he from Europe? He is from Europe. How specific can we go with the questions? Pretty specific. I mean, I'll try. Who is he? <laughs> yeah, I'd say short of that. Yeah, maybe like. not that specific. I mean, it gets to the point where there'll be clues that. All right, all right. Yeah. All right. So he's played for five clubs. Sorry, seven clubs. Five Premier League clubs. Yeah. What colour shirt did the team that you would uh, find him synonymous with wear in the Premier League, at least? Hmm. It's a tough one because there's a couple of clubs in the Premier League I associate him with, but I'm going to go with Ooh. red. Oh, red. Okay. Oh. You've ruined it because I thought I knew who it was. <laughs> I was going to say Gilfie Sigurdsson, but it's... it's yeah, no, no red. red yeah. team. It's, it's not a bad shout, but yeah, not Gilfie. What position? Is that too specific? No, that's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. Um, he was mainly a left-back, but also played a bit of centre-back from time to time. So. It's, it's, it, I think I... Oh, Ooh. no. No, I lost it. I was going to go for Maynard Figueroa, but that's... I was going to go for Sylvain Distan, but it's not him either. <laughs> no, neither of those two, I'm afraid. Because it's, it's the red... The red's... Uh... Ooh, okay. It's the red Liverpool. It's not, but what I'll say as well is blue is also associated with him as well. Did he play for Portsmouth, Liverpool, Charlton, and maybe some other club? <laughs> he played for at least two of the clubs you just mentioned. Right. There. The thing is, Jimmy Traore, he hasn't been around that much. I'd love, I wish I'd included Jimmy, but it's not him. Okay. I, I... Oh, wait, I've got another one. Are Charlton and Portsmouth two of the teams? They are two of the teams. Right, is it Herman Horidison? It is Herman Horidison. Get in. The fact about him is every team he played for in the Premier League, he got relegated with, which is a bit depressing. Surely um, by, the, by the fifth club, they should have realised and not bought him. <laughs> yeah, right? it does appear that way. Although sometimes quite good players, it ends up like Leroy Fair got relegated with a few teams, but I feel like... He yeah, but not a... five. Yeah, not five. <laughs> that is not five. I feel like the uh, other distinguishable characteristic of Ryderson was some players tuck their shirts in, but I feel like he had a real... He went for a big tuck. It was noticeable. 
Yeah, he did. He did like a tucked in shirt. And of course, um, with the Iceland link here, of course, Arsenal signed a Icelandic second choice goal yesterday. Runar Alex Runason, I believe. Um, but anyway, moving on to my second player. And my clue for this player is he had two separate spells with Ren. Ren. Actually, I lie. He had three spells with Ren. Crazy. I'm not going to lie. That's not made it any easier. <laughs> it hasn't. It hasn't. You're going to have to dig into this one, JB. Did he ever play in the Prem? He did, yes. Was uh, he a goalkeeper? French. He was not a goalkeeper, no. French? Yes. Defender? No. So he's a midfielder or a striker. We've narrowed it down, guys. We've narrowed <laughs> it down. Did he play for what would be considered like a good Premier League team when he played here? Um, regrettably, probably yes. Oh, he's, a, he's played at Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> he's not played at Spurs. We both went for the opposite end of that joke, JB. <laughs> you took that as an Arsenal player. Yeah, yeah. Is that oh. a question, Kaito? Yeah, yeah. Is he? Does he play for Arsenal? He did. That was his only club in okay. England. Oh, okay. And ran a bunch of times. Right. Well, we can go through Arsenal French players then. So it's not Ali Adier because he also played at Lorient and other. Uh, he, sorry, in England he played at Middlesbrough and he played somewhere else. Not yet. Um, not Ali Adier. Is he gone on to be a manager? No, I don't think he's even gone on to be a coach or anything. It's not Remy Gard. Is it Will Todd? It is. Out of nowhere, Yoni, you've done it. Three times at Wren. He started his career there and then he went on loan there almost. He went to Deportivo and then it didn't go well because he didn't seem to play. Went back on loan to Wren and yeah, it ended up back at Wren again in 2007. So yeah, three separate spells at Wren. And also an absolute ton of French caps, which is a bit weird because I don't remember him being as good as his, his appearances would suggest in such a strong squad. 92 appearances for France. Quite which is a lot. Yes. I think yeah. um, this is going way back. Uh, to, I haven't told this story on the podcast, when I was a, a mascot at an Arsenal game back at Ivory, I walked out onto the pitch, we played Ajax in the Champions League, and I got to hold Patrick Vieira's hand, it was a brilliant Arsenal team. Ibrahimovic, I think, was playing for Ajax, definitely Steven Pienaar, I remember that, clearly he did not shake my hand when I went to shake his, but um, besides that, I think Will Tord scored the opener, and because I was doing the whole or, you know, deal of being mascot, going out onto the pitch, coming back in through the tunnel. I think I missed the goal. So I don't know if I, the one time I had an opportunity to see Will Tord score in person, I think I might have missed it because I was in the tunnel. It's a shame. Interesting to hear that uh, Stephen Pienaar's been preparing for a pandemic for 20 years now. <laughs> a visionary. So for my final player, the clue is he has played in both the Premier League and the Scottish Premier League. All right, there's plenty of those. So, is he played for Scotland and is he Scottish? He's not Scottish. Is he still playing? He's not still playing there. Did well, he play for Celtic? Down. He did play for Celtic. <laughs> did he play for Arsenal? No, he didn't. It's not John Hartson. Um, not Anthony Stokes. Well, we've done really well at naming people who it isn't. <laughs> uh, was it a striker? No, not a striker. Not Henry Larson. There we go. How many Premier League clubs has he played for? Two, although one of them he never... I don't think he actually ever played for one. He was just sort of there, hanging out. Is he a defender? No. 
I don't know why I feel like Everton have just had a ton of these players over the years. He, he, he would have suited playing for Everton, but he never made it to Merseyside. Or Fulham. Did he play for Fulham? No, he didn't. Well, what I will say is... The, I feel like those are very like Scottish Premier League clubs. But the Premier League club he played for for five years, apparently, and haven't been in the Premier League for nearly, well, for about 20 years now. So <laughs> that bears a clear view. Was it Coventry? Oh, JB, I think you're onto something. It was. Is it Stephen Hendry? No, it's not. Oh. Actually, but you, you're onto something with Coventry because that was the. Well, he played for another one, but that was like the only one he, I think he actually played matches for. Um, so he's a goalkeeper, is what I'll say. This is difficult. He's um he's Scandinavian. I like Scandinavian goalkeepers in Who Are You, and so I'll, I'll give you that as well. Is he Finnish? He's not. No, he's not anti Niemi. Uh, I had see. I, I said I'd make it tough this time, and I think I've delivered. So I'm happy. Do you know? Oh, oh, no. Is he Swedish? Is it, is it John Lukic? It's not John Lukic, but he is Swedish. I think I know it. Go oh. on, have a guess. Have a guess, Yoni. Is it Magnus Hedman? Oh. It is Magnus Hedman. Well done. Very good. Played for um, yeah Coventry and Celtic, and then. I didn't really remember this, but apparently in the 06-07 season, he was at Chelsea. Was he? Apparently they went through a weird kind of group of third yeah, choice Yeah, no, keepers. I think that was potentially an emergency loan site. That might even have been amidst the Czech and um, oh, Czech Kudacini injuries. No, I do, I do admire, Yoni, your uh, Pipo Inzaghi approach to this game, which is you let us ask all the questions and you just sit there waiting for the tap-in as we're narrowing <laughs> on the... On the correct answer. That's the way to do it. That's the way to win the game. Yeah. That's a Yoni hat trick. goal hanger. There it is. On the shoulder. Kind of guy who scores a hat trick and then does like a load of backflips to celebrate three <laughs> happens. I Go wish on. I had that athleticism. So, listener, we are recording on Tuesday, the 22nd of September, 13 days before the end of the summer transfer window. As always, the final weeks promise to be the busiest, with many of the biggest clubs leaving their business late. Will Koulibaly finally join Man City? Will Ronald Koeman get over his departure from the Dutch national team by just signing all of them anyway for Barcelona? Is this the summer that Salomon Kalou finally joins Arsenal? Whatever happens, it's fair to say that the transfer window has almost eclipsed the sport itself as a source of intrigue and ignition for fan emotion. Not a day goes by without some poor social media intern being told to announce player X by hundreds of angry men who want to see their shiny new toy in their club's new kit because Fabrizio Romano has promised them that the total agreement has been reached. Sky Sports News even have a sad little uniform for the final day of the window. JB, as someone who is very involved in football Twitter, not as someone, admittedly, who calls on Arsenal to announce players that you know, may or may not be within our reach, what do you make of the whole sort of fan culture surrounding transfers? And where do you think the excitement and sometimes aggression comes from? Especially, it seems to be growing sort of the last few years. Oh, that's a big question. Um, what do I make of it? I mean, it's really weird, isn't it? Um, I think there's different bits to it and you've got to unpack it a bit. So it definitely started as a bit of a joke. Uh, and I think what you have to understand is that there are a lot of people on the internet and there are people on the internet who can 
come up with funny things and and start kind of innocent jokes and and running jokes and then there are probably people who take them too seriously or run with them in the wrong way um and i think you've got a lot of impressionable kids for want of a better word on the internet and i think like we don't really appreciate how young a lot of these people are who kind of join these bandwagons like they're kids um everyone's locked inside and you get this kind of competition to see who can take whatever it is the furthest so whether that's this announced player x running thing or whether it's some of the weird language that's emerged on on football twitter that largely involves bastardizing kind of foreign popular football phrases or whether it's you know following planes and identifying cloud patterns out of windows which clearly some people are taking the piss with and others are genuinely trying to do um it's weird and then there's all this you know trying to prove you're a better fan by doing thing x more than the last person um arguably this is probably a natural conclusion of all of those things together where it's often just a horrible unpleasant place to be but it's just weird like (laughs) it's the only thing i can say like it's it's funny it's funny to think that you know yeah we're all sitting there hoping our club signs a player but now like the transfer window has just become this standalone event where all that matters is announcing something every day like not not who you're signing or what it does for the team or what happens on the pitch. It's, uh, you only bought a 20 million to pound defender last week and it's been seven days since you announced a signing. Like, what the fuck is your club doing? That's not how the world works. Uh, it's how Twitter works. I'm glad I'm not a social media director for a club. Like, I know also, you know, as an example for, for mid-table clubs, you know, their marketing teams can spend six, seven months working on a launch or a campaign that's ready to go out. And if that club loses on the weekend, they can't do it because their fans will, will just be like, we lost on the weekend. Why are you posting about this commercial deal we signed? Which is again, nonsense, but that's the way the world is. Um, I don't know how you, I don't know how you get away from it, but it's uh, it's a strange, strange place. Yeah. It seems to be sort of more and more, aggressive and almost like childish in the way people interact with various things. And as you say, like some of that is just people intentionally sort of self acknowledgingly being childish. And sometimes it is something a bit more like, like, like negative than that, I suppose. But certainly like this summer, I don't know if sort of people being in lockdown and being stuck indoors has had more of an impact on that because we've literally been able to sort of track the movements even more than usual, or at least, you know, you can get away with not being on your computer at work yeah, I think so. I th- it's weird, right? Because I think there are some people who are completely doing it innocently and think it's funny and, and don't realise that, you know, if one person makes a silly joke, it's funny. But if like 10,000 people make the same silly joke, all thinking they're the only person making it, it's a bit of a bombardment. Um, but then absolutely some of it's more malicious. Like some of the some of the accounts that share transfer, like genuine transfer news, like the you know, the the beef, for want of a better word, that's currently going on between Arsenal fans and the GFFN account is so <laughs> weird. That's some, I mean, it's probably some guy in his mum's basement, right? But he's he's just aggregating French transfer news and sharing it, like, completely neutrally. And because Arsenal haven't bought our, it's his fault. And some people are reveling in that, right? Like, some people are 
really enjoying that and, and others are genuinely just want some transfer news. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it must be accentuated by people being locked inside, but that doesn't make it normal. I mean, maybe these people are locked inside all year, right? They just, these, these people <laughs> just live in like caves on their laptops and we don't notice it normally because we're out and about being normal human beings in society or trying, trying to be normal human beings in society. Uh, and now, yeah, like I'm sure we're all spending more time on the internet now than we normally would. But yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's the politicians need to take these things into account when they're, when they're making policy. It's interesting when Yanni mentioned the, uh, the lockdown kind of contributing towards or crescendoing the, uh, the desire for transfer news. It almost took me to like that scene in Shaun of the Dead where they're stuck in the Winchester and there's just zombies like banging on the door. In theory, like instead of human brains inside, it's just transfer gossip and these people are just desperate to get at it. But otherwise, sticking on specifically this transfer window that is happening right now, um, as yeah, there always are, there have been lots of rumours flying around and focusing on Arsenal's seemingly the only business that remains to be done. We sort of mentioned it there is um, a central midfielder or two, but you, you never know. So JB, you've not really shied away on Twitter from voicing your opinion on the potential Thomas Partey to, to Arsenal deal. Specifically, I'd say you've been a little critical of the uh, financial figures potentially surrounding the transfer. So could you tell us a little bit more about that and then as it feels related, if you have any thoughts on the interest in Hal Samar and maybe what he could do for Arsenal, I'd love to hear those too. I don't hate Thomas Partey. I don't have anything against him personally. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Um, I don't have anything against his family. I don't have anything against Atletico Madrid. I, oh, right. Arsenal don't have a lot of money. Okay, so if we're going to spend a lot of money on one footballer, you need to be 100% sure that you're going to get it right. Um, you also probably want to make sure that in four or five years' time, that money comes back in some way and you're not left with nothing. You also don't want to commit a lot of wages towards a footballer who you might be paying big wages to at the end of their contract because, again, we've seen what happens and we're currently stuck in exactly that situation with a number of first-team squad members. So, do I think we should pay 50 million euros cash because it's a release clause, so you have to put it all down on the table day one for a 27-year-old midfielder who plays for Atletico Madrid and they're a weird team, so you can look really good there and maybe not anywhere else um, and probably has three to four years left at the level he's at and wants, apparently wants £200,000 a week plus. Do I think that's a good signing? If he is literally the best midfielder in the world, or if he will guarantee us Champions League football, then I think maybe you can make a case for it. I don't think I've seen anything, and I don't think anyone I view as reliable has seen anything that would suggest he is a player of that calibre. Is he a Champions League level central midfielder? Yes. Will he improve us? Yes. That doesn't mean you walk out and put 50 million cash down on the door tomorrow. Would I take him at 25, 30 million? Maybe, probably, possibly. Um, would I take him in some kind of Torreira plus cash swap deal? Again, more likely, especially if we can spread the payment over, over future years. Um, I don't know if any of that's on the table, but 
like the idea that it's you know it's not my money so i shouldn't care well no because it's my club and therefore if the club spends irresponsibly we'll be bad or we'll be worse um also i'm sure there are lots of people on the internet who have genuinely watched thomas party play hundreds of hours of football and have really well-formed opinions on what he is also the people who are telling me he's world-class are dividing into three groups um one group thinks he's a defensive midfielder one group thinks he's a box-to-box midfielder and one group thinks he's a really good deep line kind of ball progressor and from what i've seen and what i've read he is a good ball progressor which is fine but he doesn't have outstanding defensive output and he doesn't do a lot in the final third and i would argue if we're going to buy someone, we need someone who has one of those two things. Um, because you're not getting anything in the final third from Jacker and Ceballos. And you're not getting a whole lot of defensive output from either of them either. You're getting a bit from Ceballos. So that's where I am on that specific signing. I think he's a good player. I think if we had un- unlimited money, he would improve us. But I don't think he's at, at a level and at an age where we can justify essentially commissioning a transfer where there is kind of no insurance that's where i am um our excites me more because he's younger um he's he plays slightly higher up the pitch he connects the attack better um he has had some offensive output in recent years he kind of fits the profile of what i'd want to see and i think also in a three he could do a good job there that's that's what i like i also don't really care who we buy um clearly we need bodies um, and I would happily, you know, if we go out and sign two other midfielders, I'm not going to cry if, if they're good players. So that's where I am. I just think that the idea that if you think someone's good enough, you should be happy with, with your club paying any amount of money for them is a bit strange. Uh, and I also think that we need to be careful about the profile of players we buy because we've been burnt buying kind of old slash declining players in recent years. What do you make in that case, I guess, just in general of a premium attached to a player of an age where there's not going to be a resale value of whatever the situation is. For instance, someone like Wilfred Zaha, who seemingly has been priced out of a move for a long time. And in the situation we're talking about, where clearly between all of us, we can probably tell that the party deal doesn't really add up to most of these clubs. I'm sure they want Zaha, but probably the financials don't really add up, especially when you heard figures like 70 million or something like that being quoted a year or two ago. Um, Is there ever an excuse to make that type of signing? Yeah, so I, I think you spend money where there is an immediate kind of evidenceable return, right? So um, the most obvious ones of those are if your entire squad is kind of ready for a challenge and there's a gap. So, so Liverpool like buying Van Dyke is a good example. Arsenal buying Van Dyke now, I think would be a, a dumb transfer because you can get to the level we need to get to without going out there and and spending money like that and not getting it back. Liverpool buying Thiago, right. um, Is a sensible transfer because they're at the top of the game and their, their aim now should be to get as much as they can out of their current squad. They're going to have to rebuild in a couple of years because squads don't last that long. Um, One of the biggest issues they had last year was, was breaking down deep blocks and kind of being the team with the ball a lot. So they've gone out and got, arguably the best central midfielder in Europe for 30 odd million. That that's when you spend money like that because you win now. What you don't do is, is speculate to get into the champions league, right? You, you need to build the rest of the squad first. So 
what we've done in the past is thrown a lot of cash at Alexis. And when we didn't sell him as well, it was arguably throwing cash at him. Uh, Mkhitaryan, Ozil, uh, Abamyang, Socrates. I mean, the last five years of Arsenal, or, or the last four years, has been a case of throwing cash at players, probably post-peak, post-prime players, in the hope that we just get straight back into the Champions League and everything's fine again. And what you end up with is a squad that is imbalanced, expensive, and not up to scratch. So I think we need to stop cutting corners as a club. Hopefully, you know, the signs are probably what we're trying to do. Um, if you take the William one out of the, out of the equation and maybe you can make a different argument there because it's a free. Like, you know, you can sign players at a certain age, but you need to get the valuation right and you need to make sure you're not bankrupting yourself. So, yeah, there are times you do it. Uh, I just don't think Arsenal are anywhere near close to being in a situation where you, you kind of break your structure to bring in a uh, superstar is not the right word, but a kind of superstar price tag. Um, Zaha's a weird one, right? I think he's a good footballer. He's not a great footballer. I don't think he'll ever be worth more to any other club than he is to, to Palace, which is the issue there. Uh, it's his own fault for signing the contract he did. Like Grealish, right? And that's, if Grealish hasn't got a release clause in the new deal he signed, if he complains in two years about not being able to join a bigger club, that's his fault for signing that contract. Like, fair play, I respect the loyalty, well done bit for signing him. But, you know, you can get stuck at kind of a mid-table club quite easily. Yeah, I was, I think, surprised to see him signing a new deal in the first place, but literally within a millisecond of seeing the article in my head, the first thought I had was there must be an inflate, you know, release clause in there. That's the only reason he would do that. And that's the only reason the club could convince him to do that at this point. But um, Joe, did you want to jump in here? I did. I've, uh, I've enjoyed listening to all, all the chat. And I know there's been a bit of Arsenal talk there with Party and Awar as well. Um, but I thought I had to talk about some recent Tottenham transfer news, given everything that's happened over the last week or so. So obviously, it's been a really positive few days for Spurs. Um, Gareth Bale, one of my favourite ever Spurs players, has returned on a season-long loan. And also, and arguably could be more important in the short term as well, we've also signed a quick attacking left back in the form of Sergio Reglio. How do you say his surname? I probably should know this. I'm having a bit of a Paul Merson moment here. What is it? What is it? Reguion? Or... Reguion, I think. Yeah, Reguion. Okay. So we've signed him as well. And he, he looked great for Severe at the end of last year. And then just to add on top of that, our women's side have also signed Alex Morgan, one of the most recognisable women's players in the world and also one of the best. Um, so, JB, thinking specifically about the men's side here, what impact do you think these latest signings will have on the mighty Spurs? And does it make you fear us even more than you presumably already do? Or are Bale's glory days behind us and actually it's going to be a complete failure? What, what do you make of it all? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's a shame the camera's pointing at my face right now because, I mean, I'm, li I'm shaking, right? I'm, I'm, I'm quaking in my boots. Um, it's a tough one, right? Um, I, I think, let's go one by one. Bale is a very good footballer. Um, he's been playing at a high level, at a very high level for arguably the biggest club in the world. He's clearly not the player he was when you sold him. But I don't think he needs to be to improve Tottenham, right? Um, if he can stay fit, I think he will, he will clearly improve you. Um, he will give you something you haven't had 
in a while. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. I think from what I've seen, um, Mourinho basically can't coach an attack. Like, I think his game plan is sit deep and just rely on really talented attacking players who have enough experience to kind of just figure it out. That, that was um, the story of Southampton Spurs on the weekend, <laughs> very much so. Like, I mean, that game, I don't know what Southampton would do. Like, I'm watching it, and the only Spurs player making runs in behind was Son. And all the Southampton defenders were just staring at Kane, who has a good shot on him, but, like, there's no threat on the halfway line if Harry Kane has the ball. The threat is the runner in behind, and they're all just looking the other way. And it happened, like, five times. And I honestly, like, I don't know if it's has... I mean, it, it's got to be individuals at that point. I know some players are not suited to a high line, but, like, I, Jack Stevens, mate, come on, sort yourself out. Anyway, going back to the, the, main, the main topic, which is if you want to kind of just wing it on the attack, I think you can do a lot worse than, than Bale, Kane, and Son. Um, I don't know how quick Bale is still, but there's clearly a threat there. There's clearly a plan there. Um, and the plan is just let those guys do whatever they want and kind of figure out the structure behind them. I think, um, I mean, the midfield, if it becomes a three, right, of, of Ndombele, Le Celso and Hoybier is, is a is a strong three. Um if they all stay fit and if they play well. And then, you know, it, it logically makes sense that, that you've got two attacking fullbacks. It just feels a bit too imbalanced for a Mourinho team. It feels a bit, you know, having, having Doherty, or Doherty and Reguillon um, or Regillian in the, in the same team doesn't feel very Mourinho unless there's three centre-backs. So yeah. I don't know what the plan is because clearly he's not a Ben Davis substitute, like they're different players. Um, so look, I think individually they're good signings, and I'm, you know, on paper that's a very strong Spurs side. Right? And Dombele is a brilliant player, but the big hope here is is ultimately that Mourinho is still your manager, and therefore he's likely to bully a couple of your star players out of the team. Um, the the kind of preference will still be to defend first. You you know you're you're gonna you're gonna fall apart at some point. So. That's the hope. I think with the right manager, that's a pretty strong squad. Again, it depends on Bale staying fit. It depends on Ndombele kind of hitting his potential. I'm still not sure how good Doherty is as like a footballer. He's a very effective attacking weapon and he's a very useful fantasy football asset. But I don't, I don't know how good he is straight up. Like, I don't think Wolves would have let him go for what they did if, if they didn't think they could replace him. And clearly they're bringing in Semedo now. So, look, good team on paper. Um, I mean, it'd be good to get your thoughts on Mourinho, but I don't. I just, I don't really worry whilst he's there. Interesting. I mean, I can't claim to have liked him in any way before he came to Spurs. In fact, quite the opposite, as you could probably imagine. Much like Arsenal fans. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm quite frustrated with him. I don't like the style of football he plays. A bit like you were saying earlier, that Sunday was a perfect example of are attacking players bailing us out and I don't know it's very hard to see kind of what the identity is for Spurs at the moment because we're not even that we're not that defensive either there's I don't know there's there's a, there's a lot of work to be done put it that way and as long as Eric dies in the team I'm I'm constantly worried but um 
No, I am. I'm sort of reluctantly getting behind him. But do I really like the guy? No. Do I hope he's the guy to bring the glory times back to Spurs and annoy Arsenal fans and Chelsea fans? Most definitely. And yeah, maybe it would have been better if Pochettino was managing this team. But sadly, he's not. So yeah, just got to get behind Jose now, I suppose. Yeah, you've got to. You don't have a choice. You could hound him out and hope that whoever comes in next has, has enough time to turn things around before the end of the season. Oh, no. It'd be, it would be too much fun for Tottenham to do well with him to, to want that. Just to, just Maybe to... it'll be um, AVB replacing Mourinho for the second time, but this time at Spurs. <laughs> well, I mean, for his second spell even at Spurs, yeah. yeah. I mean, him and Bale had a good thing going on last time, so <laughs> you never know. Switching things up a bit today, as far as games, it's time for a brand new one that I have concocted especially for today's episode. We have JB, aka Gunner Punner, with us. And as we're getting towards the end of today's pod, the time has come for the penalty shootout. I have put together a bunch of questions, and the answers are all football-related puns. Let's get this penalty shootout going. It is a free-for-all, so whoever answers correctly first gets the points. So, which former Middlesbrough player as a popular cheesy noodle dish named after. That's my macaroni. Yeah, well done, Yanni. <laughs> of course, that's macaroni and cheese. So I thought that was like a commercial deal. I was like, shit, who, who's done like a... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, these are, these are dad this jokes, is... guys. Get okay. ready for just like a barrage of dad jokes. Um, okay. So um, next up, question number two. If you had a nightmare you kept having again and again night after night about a former West Ham Villa and Bolton player you would be having a blank nightmare oh god not Moncaring no yes you're you're on the absolutely right right line oh Nigel reoccurring yeah (laughs) exactly reococurring nightmare yeah it's you'd you'd be having a reococur nightmare (laughs) so wow (laughs) god that is that's question two. So where where are we going? That's question two, guys. Question ten is going to get someone imprisoned. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Question number three. Which Premier League player exclusively buys Ford cars? He's a goalkeeper. Fraser Fiesta? <laughs> Fraser Fordster? I would almost take it, but um, the guy literally has the name in his name. Like, he has the word Ford in there. <laughs> Oh, Jordan Pickford. There you go, Yanni. <laughs> Moving on to number four. I'm looking for a former Liverpool midfielder's last name and another word that you could use to describe lobbed shots and together blank and blank make up a popular match day food for fans. Something fish and chips, but... Um... The second part's right. Start. Oh. Burger and chips, Patrick Burger. Patrick well, Joe. Well in, Joe. Burger and chips. So, this next one could get someone in jail. We'll, we'll see. Joe's done, Joe's done too many of our summer camp 10 footballers you'd find on a barbecue. <laughs> yeah, I've done Frank, it. Le, Frank LeBerth always at the top. <laughs> oh, I like that. It took me a moment. Um, all right. It's this French. former Dundee United and Blackburn Rover striker had fantastic genitalia, according to his name. Who was it? David. Good Willie. Nicely done, Joe. <laughs> when I looked at his Wikipedia, he's been playing for Clyde, absolutely banging the goals in for the last oh, okay. few days. 
Fair played enough. up front with Paul Dickoff, I think, from memory. <laughs> <laughs> Little and large. Willie anyway. Bonnie when he wasn't. <laughs> All right. Some people are pee shy, as in they don't like to go, so to speak, around other people. There is a footballer who struggles to play cricket for similar reasons. Who is he? That's Shawaya. Yeah, Bats. well, MJD. Yeah, Mitchy. He's a bit bachelor, so struggles on the on the cricket green. Next up, this is number seven. I need the Martin Tyler commentary version of this answer. So whichever one of you gets it first, I really do need you to commit. Otherwise, your answer won't count. So you need to say it like Mark did. Right. Which letter of the alphabet scored a controversial last-minute winner against Man City? <laughs> Was that you, Yanni? Yeah. Yeah, no, you only got in there. It was G. (laughs) Obviously, it starts with a J, but it sounds like G. Yeah. So we'll go with that. I think it was offside. That's why I say it was controversial. Yeah, VAR would have have spoiled the party. Yeah, they would have spoiled G's party. Um, Question eight. Which Premier League player is actually much faster than his name suggests? Uh, It's annoying because it's not immobile. Oh, that would have been good if we were, yeah, if I'd gone Syria. Um, he's a fullback. Uh, Regulon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, everyone knows that Regulon truly means slowpoke. Kyle Runner Peters. I would have taken Kyle Walker, and I definitely would have taken Kyle Walker Peters because he, he kind of walks around, he kind of peters along, blah blah blah. So yeah, points for JB. All right, number nine. Which ex-Premier League footballer would you call if you needed someone to take care of the kids? David Babysitter. Or Nanny. <laughs> Joe, well done. <laughs> Guys, it's three. You all have three. So oh. going into question number 10, this is the sudden death part the penalty shootout. I couldn't have planned this better. Are you ready, guys? This footballer and this type of set piece's name together are also the name of a popular yogurt treat that you might find at supermarkets across the United Kingdom. Thomas Muller Corner. He's gone and won it. <laughs> oh. Well done, JB. Muller Corner. So- Muller Corner. Levin Golski. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stressed about that one. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've, you've done your, um, your username proud, so well done. That brings us to the end of the show today. Thank you to my co-host, Kai, and of course to Yoni too. JB, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on as a guest. And for those who don't already, what is the best way for our listeners to keep up to date with all things Gunner Punner related? Um, come live with me, probably. There's, there's space next to me on the sofa, but if not... Um, and I guess it's kind of illegal really currently. So Gunapana at Gunapana on Twitter, one word. I hope I don't need to spell that out for you because it should be, should be self-evident. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Brilliant. At Gunapana on Twitter, everybody. Follow our man JB and remember to follow us on Twitter at BlazersFGPod as well as at Blazers for Goalposts on Facebook. Our latest update for Instagram is that sadly our old account is pretty much dead. We can't seem to revive it. Instagram are being annoying. So we will be creating a new account. Um, stay tuned for more info on that 
Thanks, everybody. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>